there'd be a lot of poop in my hands. I've <laughs> <laughs> seen a six-foot alligator go swinging through the air and slam into a tree. These guys are the scientists of the supernatural, lecturers leaving lessons for inquiring laymen. They are applying the scientific method to a world that baffles science. They are the cryptids of the corn. But who else has big black wings and red eyes? Um, Batman. Oh, Mothman. Oh yeah, Mothman. A great white shark was stolen. Oh, someone stole a shark? I got stuff for you you don't even know about. She's a witch. She turned me into a newt. Who knows? Anything could be possible. Anything could be possible. It's really big. Mm -hmm. Abduction vibes. Holy moly. It sounds like you were abducted. And it just stood up. I mean, it just like kept going and going. And she goes, what the... Hello, hello, and welcome back to Cryptids of the Corn Podcast. I am the great and powerful Mr. E. And I am Jay Clone 3. Ooh, early model, early model. Yeah, we rhyme. And it's not just us this episode. We are joined by an absolutely amazing guest. Jay, who's in studio? We are joined today by investigator, uh, author at Paranormality Magazine, Glad I said it right on the first try. <laughs> <laughs> and consciousness explorer, Chaz of the Dead. Woo! Thank you for being here, Chaz. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Super glad to uh, to be here and part of the show. Oh, we, no, we're happy to have you. I, I cannot remember. Me and you were talking on the Instagram. Uh, <laughs> on the Instagram. I know, I'm such an old man. I'm not, but I am. Uh <laughs> And I remember a long time ago, and I do not remember whose podcast it was, but your episode you did with them about the Bet Sphere, and you know, you've done a lot of work with that and everything like that. And it's truly amazing. But, you know, we always, me and Jay always kind of reflect and like to do that stuff. Like hearing you, on, I can't remember what show it was on. It was on a big show. Hearing you on that show, and I would have never guessed a year and a half ago, we'd be having you on. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So thank you for being here. Well, your your flattery gets you everywhere with me because uh, I, I I'm very much the same way. I did not expect um, when I wrote my my first book. I honestly didn't think anyone was going to read it. It was more you know kind of for me and like a way to to document my adventures and research. Um, and then um, it was picked up. I believe Mysterious Universe was the first one to to cover it. Mm. Um, as controversial as they may be, they gave it a glowing review, and you know, it's, I kind of took off from there. And I was invited on a bunch of shows to to talk about it and then get into uh, some of the the strange research. I think um, my uh, approach using some of these more intense psychedelic experiments. Um, really resonated with uh, the paranormal audience because, um, you know, as, as fun as shows like Ghost Adventures are, I mean, they're they're a good time. They're, they're kind of lazy, right? They don't really push the buck. It's been 25 seasons of the same <laughs> shit, talking to empty rooms and to EVP voice yeah. recorders and, and listening to static. And, you know, yes, it, I, I'm laughing because you're right. <laughs> It, it's fun. It's, you know, it's what got me into it as a kid. You know, I was mm -hmm. watching that and fuck, that's the coolest job in the world. They get to go to museums and hotels and shit and like hang out all night and look for ghosts. Um, 
But now that I'm an adult, I realize they're missing a key aspect of that. It's taking a bunch of fucking mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you really get the ghosts there. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I agree. They left that out of the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine? So we're good friends with the mountain monster guys. And we're really good friends with them. We go fish and all that kind of stuff. We love them. But they're, you know, behind closed doors. They're real honest about the show. You know what I mean? You imagine them going out there in mushrooms? (laughs) Imagine Wild Bill on mushrooms. That's who we're most friends with is Wild Bill. (laughs) I couldn't even imagine him on mushrooms. I think he might murder you. He's not allowed to drink because he gets aggressive. He gets too intense. (laughs) (laughs) What if he, like, completely flips and he's, like, real loving and, like... So It's like, yeah, like Adderall, you know... (laughs) He like you know he, he's carrying you around the woods like a like a little baby. Yeah. <laughs> like thanks, Wild Bill. Yeah, we did kind of discuss that concept before we uh, hit record here about um, one of those similarities to psychedelics and in the paranormal. And you know, a lot of people are immediately like, okay, you're just getting high at these places, you you scoundrel. <laughs> and to them, I say, yeah, all right, fair enough. Uh, but two, there there is a good bulk of research to support this concept. And in my first pub, uh, book, I published this list of similarities between the paranormal paranormal phenomenon as a whole and the psychedelic experience. And the big ones are quite similar. And that is one of the biggest ones: is that that initial reaction. You either you either find it terrifying or you find it like this unifying one love, peace, happiness, you know, uh, this is super common among alien abductees, right? You have even the people who've been probed in the butt come away being like, well, no, it wasn't a sexual assault. It showed me that I'm part of the grand cosmos. Uh, Or you have the Barney Hills, which if you ever listen to that regression tape, Dude's terrified. I mean, that's a grown-ass man weeping like a child because mm-hmm. something horrible is happening to him. And so, again, those are also the two things you get when someone takes acid, LSD, psychedelics for the first time, even milder ones like edibles. You can have a horrible time or a really good time, and you get this you know, really purveying sense of peace. Um, and while it's most prevalent in UFO cases, The very first paranormal experience I had was kind of an example of this. And what kind of started it off for me was, like I think many people in the paranormal, was a childhood experience. Sorry for the audio listeners. I'm hitting a joint between my sentences. That's the gap. (laughs) Um, So the very first thing I experienced was um, as a kid, maybe eight or nine, and my parents had just built these bunk beds. So I was moving into my older brother's room. He's the older brother. He gets the top bunk. You know, I'm, I'm shafted to this bottom bunk. And that bottom bunk used to be his bed. They kind of built it on top, this, this second bed. And one night, um, I'm sleeping on that bottom bunk. And I fall out of bed and wake up. There's a pair of red eyes staring back at me. And like, kind of like a, almost a Halloween graphic, flaming at the edges, sort of just beaming back at me. And being a kid, you know, 
you do what you do. You hop back in bed, put the blanket over your head, and you ride it out. That's your force field. And so, you know, blanket over the head, I'm safe. I make it to morning. And I'm young, but I'm rational. I'm like, okay, maybe there was like a toy with one of those little red power lights, and I just like saw it, you know, through a, a dreamy haze, and that's why it looks freaky. Anything that could have generated a red light, you know, I was willing to dismiss it as that. So I start doing a thing a kid never does on their own, start cleaning out underneath my bed. And my older brother, he wakes up not long after I've started this process and he's coming down the ladder and he just stops and stares at me. And in this kind of stunned voice, he asks, did, did you see the eyes too? Because mm. he had had the exact same experience when he was sleeping on that bed weeks earlier. And... Mm. Um, it, it had that initial reaction for us. He was terrified. He did not want to believe in any kind of spirituality, even good spirituality. No God. No, He became pretty staunch atheist through his teen years. Um, we've taken some psychedelics and he's adjusted on that. But <laughs> it really had this, like, I don't want anything to do with it. Like, I, science, debunk all this. It, it has to be fake. It was a dream. Terrible. For me, it had the opposite effect. I was like, holy shit, ghosts are real? Like, I want to know everything. Like, the universe is so much stranger and more complex. And um, I was really fortunate because I had very supportive parents. And they were like, okay, he likes ghost shows. He's into it. Let's buy him a Ouija board and a camcorder. <laughs> and that was my Christmas gifts one year. It was with the two of those. And so um, it kind of set me down this this path of, you know, looking into to high strangeness. Um, but it wasn't until I, I hit my late teens where I started experimenting with psychedelics and started noticing the connections between paranormal phenomenon and the, the psychedelic experience. Um, so you have that initial reaction, but you also have some of the other big hitters. Um, you have missing time. And mm -hmm. this is something I've experienced on uh, mushrooms in particular. I remember I was staring at like a pattern in the wall. thought it was five minutes. Three hours had passed. <laughs> Half my trip was wasted just looking at, looking the at this wall. Uh, oh, it was so disappointing. <laughs> because, you know, I'm trying to do experiments and shit. Like, it, it was like the ultimate version of when you scroll on your phone too long and you feel like shit because you, you were mm -hmm. supposed to be doing something else. It was like that, but to the 10th degree because I was literally just staring at the fucking wall. <laughs> <laughs> I've... <laughs> I would have loved to have been in that room as an observer. Like, he hasn't moved <laughs> like, in three hours. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I wouldn't have interrupted you. I'd have been like, he hasn't moved in three hours. I wonder if I blinked the entire time. <laughs> Eyes beat red, dry. Just. Um, but you, you have this time dilation reported a lot in the other ways, specifically under DMT and salvia. People report that um, salvia is the creepy one because it's supposed to both DMT and salvia. The physical trip only lasts 10, 15 minutes at the most. Uh, and um, the issue is, though, that that psychedelic experience can feel a lot longer. And salvia is the one that has the weirdest reports where, like, people swap consciousness with inanimate objects. They'll like smoke salvia and they'll become the suitcase in the basement. 
that and they'll be like stuck there for what feels like 30 years they come back reporting this horrible like isolation experience and usually the first thing they do is run down to the basement and pull the suitcase out and be like i'm sorry i haven't used you (laughs) (laughs) wow kind of um uh what's that called when everything is sentient um oh uh, psychometry yeah i think that might be it a weird kind of psychometry uh, experience. And again, you have the same thing on, on DMT where these experiences are only lasting, you know, a few minutes. It's done in laboratories quite often. We know 10 minutes upper barrier, 15 minutes highest. But people report spending hours and days and weeks. Um, and of course, again, you have this in UFO stories. You mm-hmm. have Travis Walton who was zapped by a ufo in front of all of his buddies you know the fire in the sky case he his experience for him only lasted 20 minutes but the dude was missing for a week um on the opposite end you have corporal valdez a south american case which is it's pretty much their south american travis walton because the circumstances are quite similar um dude was a, a corporal leading a training mission on the side of a mountain this giant glowing light, middle of the night, touches down on the side of the mountain. The colonel wanders off towards it and disappears. And the light disappears too. It's gone for about 20 minutes or so, reappears. And then the soldiers find the corporal wandering through this field, screaming, terrified. He's in and out of consciousness, freaking out. But they all noted that the cleanly shaven colonel had a bunch of stubble now. And then his watch was spun forward almost exactly a week. Um, and so it seemingly in this 20 minute time period, he had physically been somewhere else for quite longer. Hmm. Um, and ghost cases have this as well to a lesser degree, but, um, there's one case I was as told, um, by a, cl- uh, a childhood friend where they were using a Ouija board in the attic and they thought it was only, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And when they walk downstairs, it's sunlight's out. Like they have this whole chunk of time there. They're missing. Um, and so missing time, you have the viewing of strange worlds, right? If you take a bunch of, of psychedelics, you're going to see bizarre landscapes and possible geometries, something that's reported often by abductees and conduct, contactees, you know, describing these far off planets and worlds. Um, even in some of the weirder cryptid cases where they're seen stepping out of a portal, right? And you, you see that window-esque light and it shows some other other reality beyond it um again you can find dozens of reports of people on psychedelics having that experience uh and so there was a few other things on the list but those are the big fun ones um where it's it's you know really connects it to the the paranormal and so naturally when i was first exposed to psychedelics because i'd already been into like the kind of classic ghost hunting shit I was just ripping on, you know, the <laughs> talking to EVPs, Ouija boards, camcorders, the whole nine. Um, I had always found it very dissatisfying. I was like, none of this is, you know, it's not convincing me. That's not going to convince anyone else, you know, and I, I want to believe. Um, and when I first took a psychedelics, I immediately was like, hold on a second. Like, I know everyone's saying, no, you go and listen to rave music. I was like, no, this this seems like something we should be using in these these haunted locations and these paranormal spots um, because it, it has that effect where we always, you know, implore these psychics who are able to peer beyond the veil 
And no one's convinced by that shit either. <laughs> but here is this actual, you know, chemical substance that essentially alters your perceptions and for many is considered appearing beyond the veil. Um, and so it, it just felt natural to, to take these substances into the, the paranormal realm. And, you know, there's been pushback for sure. I've had people on all sides of the political spectrum demonize my work because, you know, it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and it's, you know, I'm definitely bending. I'm not going to admit to breaking any laws, but there's some legal. I I can see there is an ethics gray area in a lot of the research that I'm conducting. Um, But at the same time, you know, it's it's gotten to this point where someone's got to do it. You know, the we mm-hmm. can't just watch the same seasons of Ghost Adventures forever and live in this weird, you know, pseudo Christian reality of what paranormal shit is when it's happening. It's happening to everyone all over the globe. Reality is the question here isn't, you know, what is a ghost? What is a UFO? What is Bigfoot? It is what is happening with reality? where these things that are impossible seemingly exist, even if it is only for moments. And, you know, that that's the, the lack of consistency and the, the timing is what skeptics say, oh, you know, you just, you just made it up. You just fantasized that. But um, some things diverge from fantasy into reality. And again, that psychedelic experience is part of that. You know, there's how many times and how many stories we can find of people having nonverbal communication while on psychedelics together. It's one of the most common things people like we had this whole conversation without ever saying any words. And we didn't realize until someone like spoke up from outside the, the circle, like, what are you guys doing? That I've heard that, that exact story maybe 80 times. And I've done it by accident once. I remember um, taking some some substances. I was hanging out. I always wear this weird Moroccan jalaba, like a wizard robe. <laughs> and I was wandering through my backyard at the time. And the neighbors were hanging out. And they were like, yo, dude, what the fuck's up? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm high as balls. Just, you know, ignore me. And they're like, oh, well, we're playing poker. You want to come play poker? And I was, I was coming down at this point. I was like, yeah, no, I can come and hang out and play some poker. And I fucking clean swept them. I like cleaned up. And they were like, and again, I'm sitting in this wizard robe. And they're like, dude, what? Like, are you a professional fucking card player? And I was like, nah, man, I'm still tripping a little bit so I can see the cards. And the dude was like, bullshit. Picks a card up off the deck. Does, what is it? And again, I just first thought nine of diamonds. And it fucking was oh. and they never invited me to play cards again i bet not <laughs> <laughs> that's freaking awesome they, they invite and this so, guy wander around the backyard yeah in a wizard robe and they're gonna steal oh, his money they and they're like man they're like easy money easy <laughs> money <laughs> and he leaves with everything right i love it <laughs> yeah so but again these these anecdotes are a dime a dozen amongst you know psychedelic users <clears throat> And so the, um, there, there is a natural instinct to hear this stuff and go the skeptical route with it. Okay, so you're saying paranormal experiences match up with hallucinations, essentially. And yes, but what's 
create what be, when it becomes paranormal is when it has a physical impact. Mm-hmm. And so that's when a UFO leaves a scorch mark or a ghost shatters a glass mm-hmm. or Bigfoot leaves a footprint. There, there's something physical occurring. That's where the paranormal line is. When again, if I'm having a psychedelic experience and it's it's wild, most of that stuff doesn't make it into any of my writing and research. I have to have a, a physical component. Or if I'm witnessing something, I've got to have a a someone there not on substances who can verify it as well. Um, you know, it's not. It isn't just going and lolly dolly taking a bunch of drugs at these haunted locations there is thought and attention behind it um and it works very much the same way as the ghost hunting technology it's just mine works better (laughs) (laughs) and there's a lot there that we've already covered on this show partially you know Uh, and we like we talked about off air and stuff like that we had a whole episode and i think it'd be right up your alley it's called uh sentient mushrooms our intelligent neighbors. Oh yeah. Uh, and there's a couple of really cool super mushroom in Oregon. Well, yeah, Washington Bob's Bob's our buddy, but no, uh, it, they're talking. So, uh, I believe it was Dr. Literally his last name is money. Yeah. Uh, here yeah, in Ohio. No, the guy. I yeah. About. Uh-huh. But uh, they are counting their interspecies communication. So we took it a step further. And I think that, so that some of these, uh, entities that people experience, uh, and like we talked about up here, I 100% agree that some of the the supernatural and some of the the trip stuff is it, the same thing. You're experiencing whether you're taking a layer off the veil and mm. you get a see behind it or whatever. I don't know past that. I right. I know there they I know that there's a connection, but some of these entities that people meet are my favorite one is like they're really excited that you they're ta- you're talking to them. Like they don't really mm. know that they don't know how to contact you really either. But, oh, especially on the, the psychedelic entity. Yeah. They're very excited. And again, there's a variety of ideas um, of what that is. You know, the common idea is that they are some kind of disincarnate spirit. Um, <clears throat> but I heard a great idea the other day, the other day, I don't know, a couple years ago. This whole <laughs> um, theory that... In fact, those entities you are encountering are your consciousness creating personalities for your internal organs and functions. And so that's why they're so hyped to be able to communicate with you. They're like, hey, dude, like, I'm your heart. Stop smoking fucking cigarettes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My organs would not be happy. (laughs) And again, yeah. Well, that is one of the biggest takeaways from people who do DMT and ayahuasca in particular, where they're, they have this kind of life altering, you know, like, Oh, I gotta like stop being such a whore or you know, <laughs> yeah, like, right. whatever, whatever sure. your, your problem may be. Um, Liquor. And so again, there's <laughs> an interesting concept, uh, you know, it's hard to say for sure, because again, you do have those other scenarios where like these entities do, seem to have access to information that the individual doesn't necessarily So that's what I was going to ask you about that, too, is that I've I've said that before, that if you want to really test to see if these entities... So personally, I believe that a lot of these entities that people are experiencing are mushrooms themselves, that you're actually tying into their hive mind. 
The plants. That's another big idea, especially with the the ayahuasca. Oh, uh, but yeah. All right. The the so fungus are a really cool group of creatures that they're not plants and they're not animals. They're actually older than both, and they're the branch offs of both. So both. Right. Yeah. So it's just amazing that, and then they're hyper intelligent. They've been around forever, and then you know we all love talking about Bob, but it's just that these entities seem so super pumped, and it's we've been talking. They've been receiving our information forever. Uh, there's and there's mushrooms now evolving that are feeding off electrical cables. I didn't get to talk to Jay about this. What? Yet. Yeah, yeah, this is news to me. That's cool. Because uh, all the electrical cables in the ground, people started having uh, cr- like corrosion and stuff like that, and they couldn't figure out why. It's because a type of fungus is eating them. You mean like that big electrical cable off the coast of uh, was it Norway? Shh. Oh. We're saving that for a future episode. Okay. It's called <laughs> foreshadowing. Okay. Spoilers. I bring them out. <laughs> Uh, but no, it's it. So I kind of believe personally that at least the happy entities, the entities that do not want to affect your life at any great means, you know, the, the, right. they're just kind of there to talk to you. I think a lot of those are fungus. So I, I, I do think there are other things in that realm. I, I'm really bad with the words and that type of stuff. But you know, when you're in that yeah. mind state, when you're, I do think there are, I'm personally, I'm Christian. I do think demons are using that realm. But I think there's other entities and stuff like that. Where it can be yeah. all, you know, it, it's all this stuff. But I think it's amazing. Well, I, I also am a fan of the concept that the mushrooms, because like where do especially psychedelic mushrooms grow? They grow in, it's here in the U.S., cow shit. Mm-hmm. That's our, our main source of naturally grown mushrooms. But they also grow in, you know, any area that's been deforested, anywhere there's, you know, down trees and, you know, uh, that kind of, of wake of, you know, destruction. And so there's this concept that the psychedelic mushroom is kind of mother nature's way of trying to tell humans to, hey, stop doing that. And that's why you have the that universal oneness and peace is such a common experience under mm. psychedelics. Now, again, counterpoint, not always. Right. <laughs> Some people that's... have a, a horrible fucking time. And so right. maybe mother nature has more beef with those people, but... <laughs> Well, again, I'm not sure there's, like there's you, necessarily, you know, everyone's different. I think that is, again, something we we don't um, consider enough, especially when we think of the, the paranormal and how people experience things. Um, and it's it, it's down to a, you know, a uh, not atomic, but a particle mm-hmm. particular level. Um, and we everyone knows the boring ass quantum particles exist as lines and waves and blah 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 i'm gonna skip all that because i'm no scientist i'm here to tell spooky stories so i got a really good spooky story that lines up with that shit um so there's this um it's one i'm working on currently and i'm hoping to get out there in the next year or two um but in namibia in southern africa they have a light sphere phenomenon in the kalahari desert very similar to most deserts, Marfa, Texas. We got the, the lights out there, um, which you can go see pretty regularly. They're pretty consistent. Um, you know, there's ghost lights in the Gobi Desert. and that. Uh, it's a common phenomenon in these. And, you know, you have your skies of all lighting. And so One second. So We're forth. losing you again. Oh, no. Am I coming back? There you're or back. gone. You're back. All right. Sorry. Uh, you said uh, Go- Gobi Desert was the last Gobi Desert. Yeah. So, yeah, these light spheres appear in desert regions all over the world. Um, 
and the Kalahari there in Southern Africa is no exception. Um, so there's an interesting history though of these ghost lights. So in the early colonial periods when the Dutch and others were settling in, they would you know see these ghostly orbs of light and then they would report that it was a ghost woman wearing a white dress, that that was the archetype. Um, and then of course nowadays, ghost light hovering in the desert, they do follow cars and things like that. It's a UFO. But in this specific region close to the South African border, they have the same light experience, but they refer to it, the light, as the flying snake. Mm-hmm. And that's because it appears as this large flying snake. It's got these flaps, almost like a king cobra, but larger and uses for wings. Um, but there's some more interesting details about this snake. First of all, it has a giant glowing light on its head. Um, that's why it looks like a light sphere far away. But it also has usually smoke coming out of its nostrils. It has this heat associated with it. It leaves these burn marks. But its most noted quality in the region is that it loves to kill sheep, specifically by leaving these giant holes from its fangs, and it sucks the blood completely dry, leaving these burned, cauterized wounds. And so, again, the the snake behaves essentially like a UFO. It does cattle mutilations, it leaves burns, and it's interesting to note that this region, uh, because of its aridness, not a lot of colonialism. Obviously, it was colonized, but... Um, for the most part, the ethnic population still is the, the majority, um, especially during the time period of the bulk of these flying snakes. That being said, white people also saw the flying snake. There was one of the best witnesses was a colonist dude who moved down there. And, you know, they didn't have much resources, but they're still farming sheep. So, you know, white dudes were planning to take that over. And he said it flew right past him. It was like he could have reached out and touched it. It was clearly a flying snake. It had this intense heat about it. And he watched it kill two of his sheep before he was able to chase it off. And again, I think that all of those are true. I think that it is something about our individual consciousness, but also our collective unconscious decides what your paranormal thing is going to look like. Uh, And there's a really interesting anthropological study from the exact same region that kind of supports this in a weird way. And this study was done by some anthropologists. They went out to the deep, deep Kalahari. Um, This is in Botswana towards more of the central part. And they, um, near the Botswana border, excuse me, uh, still in Namibia. But they, this nomadic tribe, they've lived in the desert for thousands of years, you know, very unique culture. They're, you know, protected because it's, they're weird, you know, it's one of those bizarre, unique African groups. And this anthropological study, super simple, two, two sheets, nine circles of green on each of them. On this one, one of the eight are green, one of them's turquoise. On the other one, all nine are green except one of them is one shade different. Like mm. if you were on Photoshop and you hit the up arrow, like <laughs> that slight change of green. To you and I, completely neg- negligible. We can't tell at all. These Kalahari bush people could pick that circle out 100% of the time. They're like, that one, that one, that one. That's the different one. Obviously, that's the different one. But when they were shown the page with the turquoise circle, 60% of them got it wrong. 
where they were like, I don't know, maybe it's that one or that one. I'm not, maybe that one, maybe it's that one. And again, the, the, the weird note of the anthropologist was that they don't have a word for blue in their language. And so hmm. it, it, it begs the question once again, how much of this is cultural? How much of it is biological? Because some people are born colorblind. Other people are born with an extra, um, extra cone in their eye. And so theoretically, there's a portion of the population already walking around able to see, you know, thousands more colors than we can. And simply because we don't have the words, they're just like unable to describe it. Um, you can like look up stigmatisms. I'm not saying that right. There's a weird word for it. But the people with this fourth eye cone, they're, they make paintings of what it looks like to them. And the paintings look like psychedelic trips. Everything's kind of got that rainbowy edge and all that shit. And theoretically, what they're saying is within that rainbow, they are seeing an entirely new color that we are just unable to describe. Um, And so a portion of it's biological. A weird note on that fourth eye cone thing. So we normal people have three eye cones. Um, Colorblind people, I think, have two. It might be off a number, whatever. Um, the colorblind people are missing the red one, right? And that's yeah. why they can't see. That's why that colorblind test works on them. They can't see it. Um, the And most colorblind people, statistically, most are men. So the mutation that affects giving you the extra cone, that one affects mostly women, which is super interesting mm. when you consider, you know, psychics and aura readers and all yeah. that kind of shit which again i'm hugely skeptical of all that shit but it's an interesting note because the the, the stereotype is there and it has been historically that women more often than not have a that are sight they're more sensitive they can see more um maybe there's something to that um, hopefully emily in the other room can't hear this <laughs> why is that that's my wife Oh, yeah. I don't want her to ever think. Shit? No, I just don't want her to ever think she has more foresight than me. <laughs> well, here's the, well, you could theoretically take her to an eye doctor and debunk it. <laughs> as I'm well. I'm the colorblind so. one, so yeah, uh, you never know. But uh, yeah, with so. that, sorry, not to not to slow your flow, but it's You're it's amazing work. that like so you think of animals. You may not know this. I was a biologist, specialized in fish. Uh, but there's animals. Manish shrimp's my favorite one to pick on. If you guys, anybody at home, you know, they're these gorgeous rainbow-colored shrimp. You know, they're crazy to and us. They have, is it 36 icons? Ele- they have 11, but it's oh, like 36,000 or whatever different combinations. Yeah. Colors. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> so there we go. it's just, and they look crazy to us. So imagine what everything looks like to them. <laughs> like, literally. Oh, yeah. They're perceiving reality completely differently. And so... It's interesting because we recognize that in species. Right, right, but not us. Yeah, but it's just too complicated to recognize in individuals. It's just everything just gets too complex because, again, we immediately, when we talk about this, we immediately enter some uncomfortable conversations about mental health and schizophrenia and things I'm not going to go any further in than mentioning them right here Mm -hmm. because I've already been canceled like 900 times, all right? (laughs) I can't do it anymore. Leave me alone. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But... 
uh, again, it's a sticky situation. Um, but in the paranormal, it's a kind of an inevitable reality that you've got to come up against is that, you know, and th this concept has been advancing. You often hear the idea of the trickster, right? And it's the entity that puts on many masks. Mm -hmm. But we, I, I still think that's a bit of a, we're giving them a little more agency than they necessarily have. Mm -hmm. We, as the individual, are the mask creator. We're going to interpret that however our mind best can. And it's going to use its cultural beliefs, your religious beliefs, your biology, your genetic ancestry, all of that shit probably weighs in on how you experience that paranormal phenomenon. Um, and so it's, it's tough to say, you know, what is at the root of it. And you do have commonalities. Absolutely. Again, with let's take our flying snake, the light sphere. All of these people reported at first from far away, it's a light sphere. Uh, you have that commonality in most paranormal cases. Um, even the ones you don't think about, Bigfoot, tons of associations with light spheres. Mm -hmm. strange they pop up light. everywhere. Sometimes you have accounts of him being an orb of light and then turning into Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. Or him being floated up into an orb of light. All kinds of bizarre. The, the association absolutely is there. Of course, spirit orbs, which, again, it's bugs. On, on the TV show, it's bugs. If you're not <laughs> physically seeing the orb with your eyeball, it's a bug. We got about... I live in, we I live in Florida. If I take a picture at night, you're going to have a lot. A million spirit orbs, no matter what. <laughs> so we, we about got beat up over that this weekend. We did? Uh, yeah, I'm not allowed to talk about it on the show yet. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Now I remember. Yeah, now you know. But before we move on past that, you're, so I've used your story, and I, I, uh, we talked about it. You know, I, I gave it credit for the, the Kahari, the snake, because it fits. You ever heard of the Crawfordsville monster in Indiana? Well, I'm not sure I'm familiar with that one, no. Okay, this is like 1800s, Indiana. This giant snake. The best they thing they could describe it, it had a giant red glowing eye on its forehead. It had these oh, wow, big teeth so weird. and these big flanges that ran down the whole length of its body. And here's the kicker. Uh, they assumed it was a dragon because it had smoke coming out of its mouth. Naturally. Oh, shit. <laughs> and this is like 18, what, 1889, something like that. It was late 1800s, yeah, yeah. Late, late 1800s. A pastor, about 300 people had seen it, and... The creature was obviously struggling uh, because it, it could never get higher than 300 feet and it would keep like kind of falling back down and trying to get back up. Eventually, they assumed it died. They were like, there was newspaper articles saying that it just sounded horrible. It sounded like a sick horse, you know, it just like wheezing and all this stuff. But, you know, we talk about the sky creatures a lot. That's kind of what me and Jay got known for, you know, is that kind of stuff. And it's one of those that kind of just, it's always, you know, they, they, they look so similar over decades or centuries difference, different continents, different places. Oh, yeah. And we have that same description. And again, the, the dragon motif is universal. So there, there's a good chance that dragon was the ancient history's UFO, that they were seeing yeah. these flying objects, mm -hmm. and that's just how their brain physically viewed it. And again, 
physically, I think it honestly does take on those attributes and, and as much as a physical sense as it, you can be. It's the same process that occurs when you're under psychedelics. Your mind is doing the best it can to interpret an overload of information. You have too much shit going on and it's doing the best it can. And that's why you get familiar motifs and, and things popping up. The Your mind, when it sees something truly paranormal, it's, it's unable to comprehend it. So it just does the best it can. So, and 100%. Perhaps, perhaps if it totally bonks out, it leans back on that ancestral shit and they're like, all right, it's a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of the duck test? Uh, I don't think so. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring you on here to quiz you. No, you're good. This is like the third or fourth one I've done for you. Uh, Our listeners know the duck test. So like you're saying with the brain, we'll automatically kind of... I I agree with you that we're putting on the mask most of the time that rather than the creature or the entity or whatever is putting on the mask. But for all of our listeners, they know it. But basically when you're driving down the highway... So we're in Ohio. uh, We have a lot of flat land and all of these little ponds right next to the highway. Uh, When you look at the ducks and the geese... They're all Canadian geese, and they're all mallard ducks. But if you look a second time, all kinds of different species of ducks. Uh, there's red-headed teals. Like, there's all these crazy colors, purple, blue, green. Uh, yeah. And But what happened is your brain automatically seen that, painted every duck and every goose the same color. And when you look again, you look harder, you realize half the time there's no mallards in there. That all those green-headed ducks oh. you've seen, they weren't real. They're not there. Your brain wanted the simplest, fastest answer to the simplest, fastest problem. Looked over, painted them all the same. That's like all the information you need. That's all we need to, you know, to process. But I think that carries into like what you're saying with the paranormal. You know, that we're creating this kind of, this facade for them. You know, people talk about... Oh, yeah. And it's been well known in occultism, you know, the mind over matter motif Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the Robert Anton Wilson wrote about the quarter experiment where you focus on quarters and you can find a bunch of fucking quarters and it does work. It's a weird meditation to use, but, um, everyone, you know, even outside the occult, they know the red car one, right? If you, mm-hmm. are, oh, if yeah. you buy a red car, suddenly you see red cars everywhere. Yep. Even just hearing me say red car a bunch, you're probably going to start seeing and noticing more red, car, red car, red car. Red car, red car. <laughs> really mess with the listeners. Again, yeah, especially when it's driving. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know. Someone's surrounded by red cars right now, and they're freaking out. <laughs> they're literally wigging out on the side of the highway. It's probably one of our San Franciscan listeners <laughs> that are on the bridge. Mark. Oh, gosh. Mark, this is for you. <laughs> <laughs> We're watching. <laughs> we just really freak somebody out. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, Mark. Well, we create a gang stalking. Right <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love bullying. <laughs> but I didn't mean the to cut you. Part is, it could be years from now. <laughs> oh, yeah. 2035. He'll hear it when he's meant to hear it. <laughs> Stuck uh, on a bridge. All the cars are red. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I think, and so I do think this concept was actually understood at one point in human history. I think the the shamanism of, um, you know, the Americas and <clears throat> Africa and even all over the globe, um, this was a study of how to manipulate those kind of concepts. 
and you know creating motifs and beliefs for specific goals um i think that's why most of them had you know pantheistic uh, you know religions we call them religions now but i think those ideas of deities and gods were more of a tool and again that mm -hmm. still mirrors modern occultism to to this day that, mm -hmm. that concept continues because it's it works you know it, it's the same concept like prayer prayer absolutely works it gets your dopamine up it gets you thinking about you know concept it's a it's a healthy practice to do meditation all of these all of these you know spiritual practices have a a root in making people feel better think better um and then it's about manipulating that to, you know, get the most juice out of your lemon. Um, <laughs> but I do think combining it with psychedelics, and if you are to believe the anecdotal evidence, the, the shamans of the past were capable of some incredible stuff. Um, you know, communicating with animals, making them do shit is always the coolest example. And you still hear that to this day with some of those... Um, ayahuasca shamans though who knows that could just be a trained jaguar they have they just <laughs> camp i don't know <laughs> my great grandmother um, i'll say this story i don't know if i've ever said shared this on the podcast my great grandmother not if it involves ayahuasca no no i don't maybe she was the mushroom lady so it could be oh, mushrooms wow, okay <laughs> uh so she would be like this in the story but she'd pick uh me and me my old so i'm the oldest kid of my of my generation you know uh, but she took me and my second oldest brother, and she was in a wheelchair. She, you know, she was like 89 at this time, and we'd pick mushrooms like that. And she'd be like, "Don't touch that one, touch that one." But she'd pick these two, and I'm like, no. "This one will kill you, and this one's really good in soup." <laughs> but no, oh, so yeah. the animal thing. So it's the snake one. Oh, oh, okay. You know this. I don't know if I've ever shared this in the story though. No, I don't think you have. My grandma got called a witch a lot, and she wasn't. I have a grandma that is a witch. It's, and then I have a grandma that's not, but so because she loved all animals, she didn't care. Uh, but so she liked snakes a lot, though. And you know, people, especially when you know, this was she was 89 when I was probably nine, so this, you know, 20 years ago, yeah. So, you know, when you're an old lady carrying snakes around, you know, you're probably not the, the most liked person, but she would pick up these snakes and then she would hold them with their head, you know, loose. And whether it was a big black rat snake, you guys have those in Florida. You have, the, mm -hmm. you know, the the black racers and all that stuff, or the little gardeners. And she would sit there and stare them in the eye, and she'd pet their head a couple times, and then she'd either put them in her hair or put them in her pocket, and she'd take them home with us. And she <laughs> had a, a barn full oh, of snakes, so cool. but these snakes like would never once like after she snatched them, and she did this little thing, and they're just like I don't know if they just knew like. Okay, she's not gonna hurt me. You know this is fine. You know this is whatever. Uh, all that stuff. But yeah, it's just you know there's all this stuff with these people with animals. Sorry, I didn't mean to slow your flow, but no, you just made me good. think of it. It's actually completely to the the point because I think that is where you find traces of this within like folk magic and like weird practices and things like that, where you have you know, the manipulation of animals and these things, those are, are carried over because those were communities, you know, agricultural communities had in this country, they were run by slaves for the first few hundred years. And yeah. So they brought over African practices 
And we also forced Native Americans as slaves as well. So there was an intermingling of beliefs. And I think, yeah, absolutely. To this day, there is truth in a lot of that folk magic practice. It is the remnants of which what was, I truly believe, a, a science. The, you know, the, the shamanism we equate with religion, but we also acknowledge that they served as the doctors in their community. And this, to this day, we use a bunch of their fucking techniques and plants and shit to derive the chemicals that we use as medicine and pills. Yeah. And so we acknowledge in this one, oh, well, in this one specific thing, they were right. But all the spirit mumbo jumbo and psychedelic drugs—that that's just craziness, right? <laughs> and it's a weird, it's a weird way place to cut it off. Even though for them, they are saying no, it's the same shit. It's plant medicine. We're using these plants for their intended purposes, and they're communicating with us, and that's where we're getting the knowledge from. It's a, a dialogue, and we were like, that's confusing. Blam. <laughs> <laughs> Have a blanket. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> sure, whatever. <laughs> I, we say in this podcast a lot, never take a free blanket. Uh-huh. There's no such yeah. thing as a free blanket. And trust dogs. Trust dogs. But to the Native American and all these cultures, medicines. So funny enough, I have a my neighbors are both biologists. Uh, well, so he does, he's an entomologist. He's a bug guy. But oh, she, yeah. she's a plant guy and she specializes in plant medicines. So she's done this with like, so the Native Americans, for example, here in Ohio, she grew, they had like, they'd harvest these certain plants at like midnight and they'd harvest these other plants, you know, during the morning and whatever. They had certain times to harvest these plants for medical properties. And she did a whole like four or five year study to see how accurate they were. And she found that it was mostly right. You know, it's most of the stuff when they would harvest these plants at midnight because they were respirating like us, which created the stuff to be much more potent. So if you harvest it during the day when they're, you know, taking in CO2, they're not as potent. So it's to think that those people didn't know what they were doing is just, you know, it's foolish. Well, yeah, you did. You did say one of my trigger words. Oh, what I say. I got a diatribe here. It was entomology um, (laughs) because I again, I'm going to as a as a discordian, I'm going to contradict myself as I am wont to do. (laughs) Um, with everything I just said, because I, we've been talking about the psychedelic nature of, of UFOs and how they're, um, you know, there's a relationship to our consciousness there. And again, I still believe all of that, that that's my number, that's my A theory. I think that's most likely what's going on, but through a strange saga of high strangeness, I've become attached to what I passionately call B theory because it's a, a bit of a pun, because it is my secondary theory, but it also centers <laughs> around bees. Mm. <laughs> Wish you could get Kirk so, for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone take a swig, because we're going to go on a, a, a little bit of a journey. Cheers. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
so this started um, seven years ago in Morocco. Um, I was backpacking through the country. And at the time, I hadn't written any books or anything. I did like a little um, WordPress blog. Um, <clears throat> and that's, I, I kind of just wrote about paranormal shit I was seeing on my travels. Um, and doing that just as a part-time hanging out in hostels and volunteering and stuff. I met a bunch of weird people, got a bunch of weird stories. Um, but I was hanging out with this dude, um, and we went to meet a friend of his in Tangier and I still have a video. It's the same place we were, um, having this conversation cause I was showing them how to hit a gravity bong because <laughs> we were, we were smoking hash and in Morocco. It's traditional, you smoke uh, what we, I, I've come to call, hash browns. You mm. crack open a fucking Marlboro, you pour some hash on top, and you smoke it like a joint. And it's wonderful. Fucks you up real good. <laughs> it's rough on the lungs after a few days. And so we were like, how can we smoke a, a chunk of hash? Because you got to get it real hot. You got to cook that sucker. Um, and like, you know, without a bunch of tobacco. And so I was like, let's fucking gravity bong this shit. And so for those who aren't from Florida <laughs> and haven't taken a gravity bong, it's when you put a bottle inside of a bigger bottle or a swimming pool or the river. Um, <laughs> don't do it in the ocean. It's gross. Um, swimming pool is also kind of gross, but it'll, you can make do. Um, you put like a little gasket on the top, fill it with weed, and you light it and you pull it up as you go and the bottle fills with smoke and you use the water level as the bottom of the bottle. And so right before it's at the, the bottom, before you pull it out and release the smoke, you hold it there, you take the cap off, suck it down. And so we were getting real, real, real stoned <laughs> and talking about UFOs and shit. And this dude was like, Oh no, man, I gotta, you gotta meet this guy. And he like set up the meeting right there. And then <laughs> I was like, I got, you gotta meet this dude. He, he's wild. He's going to blow the lid off UFOs for you. And I was like, all right, man, fucking set it up. And he, a few, a week or so later, we met at this roadside cafe. I met this dude named George. And he told me some of the wildest fucking shit I've ever heard. But when we talked about UFOs, CIA connections, supposedly, again, murky. I never saw like any true, true evidence there were some assets and some weird shit that kind of backed up his story. Weird dude on the whole. But when we talked about UFOs, he was very nonchalant. He was like, oh, no, I know people who fly UFOs. Like, I could I could arrange a ride for you. And I did not get that ride. Hmm. I was going to say, you didn't yeah. take it? Uh, I've said, fuck yeah, let's do it. And I did meet him a second time at his home. And, like, I kind of, like, was like, so, like, what's up with that? And he was like, oh, we'll talk about it later. He kind of brushed it off. And I mm. never got that later. Mm. Um, mm. But he said, um, UFOs, oh, no, the secret to that is honeybees. There's an anti-gravity chamber in their thorax. They reverse engineered that. And it's the, it's, the, it's the same concept that bees used to fly. And for me, I was like, oh, shit, that is the weirdest, most unique. Like, I didn't even write any of this shit down. It was just burned into my memory. And so um, a few years later, I went down to Chile to investigate for my first book. And I was investigating at this former Nazi compound and getting into this idea that 
this alien group could just be escaped Nazi scientists pretending to be aliens. Mm. Uh, And in that diatribe, I was like, it's possible, you know, it's popular theory that the Nazis did have UFO technology. There's this bell-shaped device that many people argue was an anti-gravity device. And one time in Morocco, I met this crazy dude who said it was bees. And if you flip a bell upside down, it does kind of look like the thorax of a bee. That was like the whole thing. It was one little paragraph of diatribe. Um, And after the book unexpectedly blew up and people were having me on shows, one host was like, that fucking paragraph jumped out at me because when I was a kid, my best friend, his dad worked in military intelligence and he would always disappear at all, like all strange hours and shit. And when they asked him what he did, he would always say, I'm a man in black, like in the movie. So they knew it had something to do with UFOs. That's mm. all, you know, he kind of like teased them with that. And so on this dude's deathbed, the son asked him for more information. And all he would say was, look at the bees, look at the bees. And they had always thought it had something to do with how they communicated until he read that paragraph in my book. Ah. And this led me down a super bizarre research hole. First, I did my due diligence as a research and checked all the boring scientific shit. I waded through a ton of it. And there are some weird things about bees. There is this, There was this legend for a time that bees are too heavy to fly, but they do so anyways. I think that's even the quote at the start of Jerry Seinfeld's bee movie. The boot. Yes, it is. Um, yes, it is. Yeah, they, because they don't give a fuck what people think is <laughs> like what the punchline is or something. It, yeah, because uh, it's like in human science... Bees are too heavy to fly. In bee science, it works out just fine. Mm, soft disclosure? I think. Uh, possibly. Um, but in the scientific world, that's actually been kind of explained away. So that started with some MIT dudes who are like mathematician geniuses. And one day they were like, "Let's we're hanging out. Let's do the flight mechanics on a, a bumblebee. And they're like, shit, it doesn't work. And they like spent like weeks trying to figure <laughs> it out and it didn't work. Mm. Nowadays, there's an explanation that they do a special little whirlwind, and that like gives them the extra lift they need, and that's kind of been the the explanation in entomology classes for the the last few decades. But there is still a mystery, specifically about honeybees. When honeybees are carrying a bunch of pollen, they're carrying weight. They're actually respirating less and flapping their wings slower. And scientists can't figure out how that's possible. If you're lifting weights, you should be doing more more energy. And so they've coined it the bees economy mode. It's like they're on the highway and they snap into this Mm. mode where they use less energy and they don't understand how it works. Cruise control. There's some other weird stuff with bees and gravitation. There's something about their nests are unique compared to other insect nests where they ignore certain gravitational rules. Um, Again, a bunch of math and science. (laughs) Interesting, but I had to, you know, I had to get more interesting with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I went, I I got weird with it. I went to the weird sources and it took me a long time to find anything about UFOs and bees directly connected. But once I did, I hit pay dirt. (laughs) I discovered the story of a Russian scientist by the name of Viktor Gurbinikov. Mm -hmm. I know this. Yes. Yeah. So I found it through this old website, KeeleyNet. And this dude was obsessed with free energy, like science and research. 
And he was actually the dude who got the first copies of Gurbinikov's memoirs translated in mm. English. And he was in communication with the son. And interestingly, it was the very last thing he was working on before the website was shut down and he's gone silent. I don't know if he passed away or what, but all of his social medias died the same time the website died. And so did the bulk of the Gurbinikov research. But the bit that was translated has been circulating around. And there's some videos that go with it. With it. There's clips. Some of the clips are real. Some of the clips are fake. It's really hard. And it's all this weird montage of the two. Um, but the bulk of it is Viktor Gurbinikov was a Russian entomologist. He lived in Siberia. And he was certainly a real dude. There's no doubt about that. People, he was a respected entomologist. He made several discoveries. He actually solved this alfalfa pest problem in Russia. It was like this huge issue and he, he was kind of a hero in the agricultural community for figuring out how to kill them as bugs without fucking up the alfalfa or as larva. Um, <clears throat> he also discovered this CSE effect, this cavity structure effect, which is still studied today. There's some weird at-home experiments you can do that display the CSE effect, um, including spinning a, a matchstick inside a closed jar. Um, but this CSE effect, he discovered it in association with insect nests. It's essentially this special kind of almost an EMF field that comes off of, of insect nests or any group of repeated cavities. Um, you know what that fear where it's pictures of people with a bunch of like holes, holes yes. So mm -hmm. there's a weird psychological thing associated, but it's essentially that would also give off a strong CSE effect. So anything kind of like that, honeycombs, um, a handful of plastic straws, anything like that would gives off a subtle amount of this CSE effect. And the research around this is very interesting. People are still doing research in Europe about CSE effect to this day. I was sent a German research paper from 2019 saying that the CSE effect and its medical applications prove this whole other thing. And we'll, we'll get to that. But it's still very much involved in, in legitimate scientific research. And so his story only gets weird when he publishes his memoir. Because alongside all of this fascinating, interesting stuff, we lost you, Chaz. Oh, yep. So, wait. So, so. Memoir was the last word. Give, yep. give it a second. Wait till you come back. Oh, cut me off. They, yeah, they know. Get into the juicy stuff. In his memoir, and oh, wait, wait, it's still it's, not back. It's still you're still not back. You're like a robot yeah. in and out. Oh wait, wait. You're now, moving now, trying to... All right. Now you're back. Hello. Memoir. All right. This is the part I... This is the story that I think will get me man and blacked the most. <laughs> I, I think... I, I'm, I'm close. I feel like I'm this close to getting them. Um, or you've already been replaced. Anyway, he writes this memoir, and it includes all of his awesome discoveries in entomology and his, um, you know, the CSE effect. But then it also includes chapter 13, where he describes the flying craft he built using these concepts. Mm -hmm. 
And so he discovered, according to his, his this, you know, chapter, that the insect shells, the exoskeleton of heavy flying insects, he said he discovered it most in one insect, but he didn't want to say which insect because he worried about the population being decimated, which again, <clears throat> bees. <laughs> Going extinct. Every, so every species of bumblebee in the U.S. is on the federal protection list. And again, correlation, obviously not causation. But UFO sightings have gone up and bee populations have, have dived. I'm just saying, again, tinfoil hat, this is a crazy rant. But Gurbinikov said that any heavy insect that has exoskeletons... Um, has this special CSE pattern on those exoskeletons that he discovered have this levitational property to them. Um, And he said he first discovered it when he was looking at insect wing covers under a microscope, and he noticed Mm -hmm. that they floated a bit. And he thought, is that static electricity? And he kept trying it and trying to eliminate the static and realized that, no, it was happening some other way. And eventually he combined a bunch of insect shells into this box that supposedly he could tap and it would like fly up to the ceiling and kind of float down gingerly like a balloon. Um, Then he strapped a bunch of these boxes to the bottom of what essentially was a pallet with like a scooter's handlebars. Mm -hmm. And he said that this fucker, this little handlebar pallet was capable of incredible flight speeds. And it would fly and levitate and could go really crazy speeds. And he never topped it out because, again, there was, like, no seatbelt or anything. He was just a dude on a pallet. But it, he believed it created this kind of bubble. And it would um, fly through, you know, this incredible flight properties and whatnot. Um, and so, obviously, I was like, okay, well, this sounds fucking crazy right i'm not it's a good story but that sounds like bullshit my guy um but then i kept reading and he describes the side effects of this craft and when he did it kind of it it definitely gave me second pause because the list of side effects he describes correlates almost exactly with the list of that we discussed at the start of the show the list of psychedelic comparisons to paranormal phenomenon all of the things he was experiencing are the same it was the same list i wrote in my book the time dilations the weird um spatial effects and where he operated the craft these areas began to be inundated with poltergeist activity they would have weird voices that kept repeating on kind of a loop Mm -hmm. um some of the weirder stories was when he was flying this craft a um, he dropped a, an empty test tube out of his pocket and um, over this apartment building. And when he went to investigate later, the windows in the apartment building have these perfectly melted round holes. And he eventually found one of them where part of the test tube had kind of been fused into the glass, like the cork still attached. Um And this is interesting because John Keel wrote about that in the Mothman prophecies with little, these little perfect glass holes, almost like they were melted being in windows of homes where the Mothman was sighted above and around. 
And this is one of those, again, weird, super niche details that and I wouldn't expect an entomologist to know. Um, one of the bizarre stories was that he would use this craft to go collect insect samples, because again, he was an entomologist. And he collected a bunch of larvae of this one, put it in some test tubes, put them in his pocket, flew back to his lab. You know, it was a short flight because the thing was fast. Um, but when he got back, pulled the test tube out, the larva was fully grown. Something oh, wow. that would normally take months. And so this was one of the reasons where he was like, okay, I got to stop using this because if it did that to a larva, like what is it doing to my liver? You know, what I mean? <laughs> it was like a jet. He was like, this is probably not healthy to be using. And the second reason he gave of, of putting it away and not telling anyone until this memoir was that people were seeing UFOs all over the, the globe. And it's important to note at this time, the first thing he noted when he first flew this craft is that the next day people reported seeing UFOs, but no one reported seeing a little man on a flying pallet. All of them reported these geometric glowing discs. On other times he operated it, they would report these glowing triangles and cylinders. And he listed off the popular UFO shapes. And they would never, you would never look up. There was always some kind of distortion. You never see the, the craft as was, as it was. You'd see this weird colored shape. Um, and he noted that people were seeing that all over the globe so that he wasn't the only one who had discovered this. And that whoever else was using these craft wasn't telling anybody. And he, you know, living in co the collapsed Soviet Union was like, yeah, I'm not going to tell anyone either. Fuck that. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> waited to to put it in his memoirs at his deathbed. And so, again, this super bizarre, super far out there theory, um, this idea that insect shells are the, the source of UFO technology. Um, that being said... There are some weird other coincidences that are fun to think about inside bee theory, um, especially when you think about scarab beetles mm -hmm. and their deification in ancient Egypt. Um, because if the technology works as described, the Egyptians could just build a couple of these boxes out of in insect shells, any flying insect, <clears throat> scarab beetles. And you could slide this under uh, a giant block and then like four dudes could get on each corner and just like lift it and carry it like it was a, you know, a light piece of luggage. Um, theoretically. Right. There's the Coral Castle here in Florida. If you guys Ed Leeds Skolden. Yeah. So he said he built this, this monolithic structure because he discovered the secret of the pyramids. And there's that group of kids who said they witnessed him moving the stones one night. They rode out and, and spied on him because they wanted to, you know, know how he was doing it. And they said he was using this cone, seashell, cylinder-shaped device, and it was vibrating and lifting these, these boxes. Mm -hmm. What's really interesting about that is that in Aztec mythology, the legend of Quetzalcoatl, how he created the fifth incarnation of man, how he created our incarnation. Um, there were four other, it, it's very cataclysmic. It goes into that kind of, um, you know, Graham Hancock. <laughs> um, and if you want to take it further, ancient aliens um, narrative. But 
to create the current incarnation of man, Quetzalcoatl goes down to the underworld where the, the king of the dead, he sits atop this pyramid. And to trick him so he can get the bones to recreate humans, he gets a seashell or a trumpet, depending on the translation. Either way, this cone-shaped device. And he fills it with bees. That's what the legend says. And he dances around the pyramid. He does this ceremonial dance around the pyramid. And this tricks the god of the underworld and allows him to bring the knowledge of humanity back and, and reincarnate us. Um, so again, it kind of fits into that idea of, you know, the knowledge bringers bringing, you know, the remnants of civilization with them amongst a global collapse. It's a very fun story. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you really dig into this, this idea. And again, if it is that simple, if it is something that is a product of nature, it's this side effect of this unknown system of flight, then it does kind of lead, lead credence to the idea that all of these civilizations could have discovered it, right? Mm -hmm. There's no civilization that didn't have entomologists at some point. Even the most ancient tribal societies, they had a bug, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it was just common, you know, there was definitely that, that aspect. Um, and so, uh, again, from that, I've been looking into the idea that there is this secondary unknown mo motif of physics. Um, and there, if you, you I, I actually went back and looked deeper into the Nazi bell story, because that was, you know, where I had first connected it to the UFO myth other than, you know, a crazy guy told me one time and one of the scientists tied to that one, um, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, but he was a German naturalist and, um, I think Nick Cook gets into it with the hunt, uh, for zero point. Um, and this guy, German naturalist, there's still this Bavarian medical Institute, that uses technology based off of his discoveries. And very interestingly, just like Gerbinikov's research, there's this medical use to it. There's always this mm -hmm. medical secondary use to it, but also some weird gravity shit. And so this dude, um, Straussberg or God damn it. I can't remember his name. Um, but uh, I'll send it to you guys so you can put it in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> Please do, It'll yes. will be there, <laughs> listeners. They'll be down um, there. Because his website, there's still a website for the, the institute he founded, and they make some super dodgy claims about COVID. It's a, it's a wild read. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he was known to be tied to the Die Glock project. He worked at that base. And what's interesting is that his background was a naturalist. He was like a forest ranger. And his engineering experience started because he created like the most efficient log flume ever. Like you used to have to have hundreds of gallons of water to make a log flume work. And like he figured out how you could do it with like a one centimeter like jet of water. And so it fueled the lumber industry in Germany. And then he was quietly translated, transferred to this bizarre Bell project, which again, the belief is the academic belief they know it was real at this point that's been confirmed the academic belief is that it was a nuclear centrifuge one of these crucial pieces in developing a, an atomic weapon um 
you know, you'd put like uranium in it and spin it around real fast. That's a super bad explanation <laughs> of what it is. But again, I, I, I talk to ghosts. I'm not a scientist. Uh, <laughs> but um, that's the, the, the concept um, as the academia discover, understands it now. That's the, the top theory. Doesn't make any sense why the log flume engineer guy would be tied to the project. But when you read his his writings, they very much correlate with um, what Gurbinikov was writing about, that he discovered this weird alternate energy, um, bizarre kind of uh, effect that no one understood, but was clearly present in nature. It was mm-hmm. part of these natural processes. And he just mimicked it. Um, very similar to a Austrian-born, later American-based researcher, Wilhelm Reich, if you guys are familiar with orgone energy. Yep, Mm -hmm. Uh, the orgone accumulator. Yeah, Yeah, of course. I've I've got one somewhere sitting around. Of course, those are those little (laughs) resin pyramids. Those are bullshit. That is... Fucking uh, listen, I don't I don't buy into the psyop shit very heavily, but I believed this shit way before. I was way more familiar with Reich than Grubinikov. Yeah. But it definitely ties back in. So Wilhelm Reich, for those who didn't know, he was he studied under Freud. He was a contemporary, same class as Carl Jung. Um, they were both revolutionary psychologists. He focused on like sexual theory and like healing therapies and stuff. Um, a lot of shit that in the, again, psycho- psychology realm is still considered top tier, like practice. They still do use his shit, I guess mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to right, say. Right, right, right. Um, but later he discovered this orgone energy, which was, uh, he discovered it through human orgasm. Again, through this natural process. Though different than the lumber guy and the bug guy, mm-hmm. still in nature, he discovered that there was this, you know, ever pervasive energy that was affected by orgasm and that doing an orgasm also channeled this energy and that could have medical benefits. Um, and again, that's well known today. If you bust a nut, it's very healthy for you. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's great for the system. It's actually quite good. Um, but he ended up developing these orgone accumulators, which were actually closer to like wooden pyramids and boxes. You would actually sit inside of them. They Mm -hmm. don't look anything like the new age shop stuff you buy today that are orgone accumulators. Um, and people would go and use these as healing devices and they work. This is astounding success. Um, you know, he was reporting having better success using these devices and his therapies for cancer than compared to chemotherapy. And again, chemotherapy was very new at the time. So there, again, there might, if there's a doctor listening, they might got beef with what I'm saying. I don't, I don't Um, think they, so we've acquired quite a unique listener group. There you go. Uh, I think they'd be open-minded. <laughs> right? No, we have doctors, and we have like we have some pretty high-end uh, people in biology that listen and stuff like that. I'm one of the ones that fully believe. Uh, my mom went through chemo; she had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is mm. she's she's fine, but uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is like a fifty-fifty shot. Yeah, you know they tell you right out first. You know, first meeting, it's 
it's not a it's not one that's easily beat, you know. Mm. I hundred percent believe that chemo and radiation is very profitable for hospitals. Yeah. And very hard on people. Uh, but I do think there is I think they've known about a better option forever. Forever, forever, oh, yeah. forever. Either way, either way, give me the Steve Jobs route. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> smoke a bunch of weird drugs and meditate and, and figure it stop out. Stop eating red meat. I guess God, that one's gonna suck. I wouldn't do it. I'd just be like, ah, I'll I'll take Fuck pork, it. please. Let, let it kill me, man. Pork's delicious. Keep the pork chops coming. <laughs> um not to cu- I'm sorry, yeah. cut off your flow. No, you're good though. Um, because it's interesting, because again, the medical aspect. They, they all, all three have this medical aspect and I actually have like four or five other people who follow the same line, but I got a writing project in the works about the whole story down the pipeline, including a guy alive today who says he's discovered the same exact shit. Um, anyways, <laughs> Wilhelm Reich built these medical devices, but his most interesting device was the cloud buster. Mm-hmm. And it was this weird CVC pipe device and again it looks almost exactly like the medical devices Gurbinikov was building for the CSE effect but he would use the cloud buster to create rainstorms and it was well documented that local farmers in the uh, uh, northeast here would pay him regularly to come to his field and fire this cloud buster and create rain mm-hmm. like on the tax documents, we know they were like were paying him consistently. So clearly, the farmers were like, "Yes, this works." Um, interestingly, is one time he was using this device, he was setting it up, and he noticed there was a UFO in the sky, fucking hovering over him. And so he pointed the fucking cloudbuster at it and fired it, and like created what would essentially, in a few minutes, create a rainstorm right in the center of where the the thing was. But the ship, the craft, the object, whatever you want to call it, reacted immediately. It, like, dipped out of the sky and started, like, crashing. And then right before it hit the ground, it kind of, like, recovered and, like, hovered again. And it was, like, panicked and zipped off. It was almost like, oh, shit. It had no expectation to be uh, affected by this device. Um, and so that was one of the weirdest anecdotes Reich had, had ever shared. Um, but the... The end of Reich's story is what is the most convincing part of it, Um, because very similar to Tesla, he died in obscurity, but and all of his devices were taken Mm -hmm. by the government and have never been released for the the public to observe, which is why we have fake little pyramids. But the kicker (laughs) of Reich's story is that he was also arrested. He died in custody. Yep. He was arrested by the ATF. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, which has nothing to do with orgone energy or medical devices or anything like that. A very bizarre, shifty end to this man's life. And again, died in custody without seeing a lawyer or anything like that. And fucking Epstein did him almost. Yeah. They uh, and they labeled him like he was a kook, like he was a crazy guy. That's how they that's how he's like written off after it. Like oh yeah. Like all and these like discoveries still, he made to this day. They still refuse to release any of his his research, any of his devices, anything like that. Which, if they were harmless, if they were bullshit, what's the harm in releasing? Right here, you go. Right. Doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wasn't um, didn't he also like discover like 
life force energy coming from plants as they died, like under a microscope? Was that the same? Well, so the, yeah, so the orgone energy is actually, um, I think it's been quoted as the basis of the force in Star Wars. Yeah. It is yeah. The, the core idea that all living things and even inert things have an effect on this invisible energy field. Um, and orgone energy, I do think, is closer to the, what is it, mitochlorians in yeah. Star Wars? Or metachlorians. Metachlorians. Little space yeah, bacteria. Invisible... I was close, man. Yeah, you're very close. <laughs> Give me points, nerds. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> Come on. It was, I was close. Um, where it has this living nature to it. But in our reality, this, again, this all sounds like sci-fi weeble wobble. But there is scientists currently studying this this reality and this ties back to that german study from 2019 that german study its um thesis was that cse and these other bizarre effects prove the existence of a universal superfluid and that's the language and so this is where again i'm sorry it's going to get a little sciencey but a superfluid is a super interesting thing. We know they're real because we can create one of them. And I believe it's with helium three. Um, and so something weird happens to helium three when you get it, like it's like 2.176 degrees above Celsius. It has to be, or above, above absolute zero, excuse me. Mm -hmm. um, it has to be this exact degree but it hits this state where the molecules in the liquid helium are vibrating at the same, at this perfect frequency where it phases, it just falls through the bottom of containers. It phases through the sides of the containers and it even rises upright and like phases out of the tip of the, the glass. So it'd be like the beer shooting out the, the tip of my beer glass here. It, perfect vibration and again there's videos of this the first video was filmed in the 40s it's, it's this understood process and so it it's something occurring at the quantum level where the molecules are hitting the same vibration so now the superfluid hypothesis is that okay well we know helium-3 can be turned into one of these but if there was an element that was already naturally in superfluid state hmm there would be zero way of us to know it exists because it would be inside of us. It'd be inside of every one of our cells. It'd be inside our brain. It'd be inside everything. And the superfluid hypothesis says that there is one of those and that these weird effects like CSE and some of these other uh, bizarre, uh, there's the Hutchinson effect, which has to do with um, acoustics and levitation. There's a bunch of these weird anomalies in science and physics that can't ex be explained that researchers are saying, okay, well, they don't work on gravity or electricity or magnetism, the, the, un the known invisible forces. So there must be this other invisible force. And superfluid research is actually pretty highly advanced there's been three pulitzer prizes awarded to scientists researching specifically superfluids it's not it's not weeble wobble it's not goof science and i truly believe the reason we don't talk about it we talk about the hydrone collider focusing on the individual particles that's you know the popular science that's what's going to tear the hole into reality i think 
the superfluid shit has gone dark. Mm. I think because the last Pulitzer Prize, I believe, was in the 80s awarded to it. I, I think the, oh, that's the research cool. into this has has kind of gone silent. It's gone underground. Uh, not entirely, because obviously there's weird German dudes still looking into it. But um, it, if it's true, though, the point of that German research paper was actually looking at some of these weirder medical technologies and saying that it only makes sense if there's a superfluid, because it's essentially the effects are very similar to like when you slap on, um, you know, the electric shock thing to do your muscles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, a very important therapy really helps athletes, you know, it, but obviously it's not going to cure you of cancer. So again, some mm-hmm. of the claims are murky there, but the, the solid research into it says that a lot of these devices has a similar effect on eternal organs, internal organs without again, having to attach anything directly or opening any cavities. And the researchers are saying this lines up with the, the, the flow of a superfluid. And again, it lines up with what Gurbinikov ended up drawing. He drew that this craft worked in this weird bubble and that there were these up and down flowing currents and that it kind of like weaved in between these currents when it, it vibrated and moved forward. Um, and that it had this independent, essentially, bubble inside the superfluid. And so the concept. Again, no scientists are making the connection to UFOs. I'm doing that. This is all Chaz now. <laughs> we're leaving science behind and we're blasting off. But the, the idea here is phenomenal when you think about it because it explains so many mysteries of UFOs. It explains the, the transmedium travel because they're not traveling through water or air. They're traveling through a superfluid that is pervasive through both of those things. Mm. So it, those wouldn't even affect it. And again, it, it explains the stopping on the dime and all those things because the craft are operating much more akin to a submarine than to an airplane. And they're not traveling at mock speeds through a through the air, through our atmosphere. They're traveling through this, this superfluid, which has a whole we can imagine has a whole different set of, you know, friction and dynamics and Mm -hmm. and everything in between. Um, And so, yeah, I I think it also has that space to explain the psychedelic aspects of it, where if these craft are traveling through the superfluid, well, they probably leave some kind of wake some kind of wave of the superfluid comes off of it and it's superfluid. So it goes right through your skin and bones as if it were not even a barrier. It just flows right through you. And again, that's happening on a particle level. And so that's light. That's consciousness. As far as we understand it, mm-hmm. that's all of that. So that might just be enough being in the wake of one of these craft to create a psychedelic experience, yeah. which ties back into to the conversation we had earlier where this experience is psychedelic in a certain nature. Um, so again, total diatribe, but that is in essence, B theory is that the idea that these craft for the most part um, are human built doing human shit. And again, both things can be true. Mm-hmm. Um, it could also be alien craft and, 
If so, they probably operate on a similar system. You know, there's that idea that UFOs started showing up more because of nuclear weapons, but maybe it's because we discovered tr- superfluid travel. And so we now started pulling the bees apart. <laughs> yeah, they're hopping over here because they're like, oh, we can actually do this now. We can actually get to you. Um, again, multiple possibilities here. It's a, a fascinating story. And I do have a project in the works um, going deep into to all those aspects of the uh, of the potential truth behind the theory. Um, Again, every day I wake up and I'm like, it's the government. They've discovered it. It's fucking bees. <laughs> and then the next day I wake up and I'm like, nah, man, it's psychedelic aliens from a different dimension. Like, <laughs> I, I, I never decide. <laughs> it's psychedelic bees in the superfluid. Oh, I was going to. Me and Chaz have a lot of similarities. <laughs> yeah. But I was, I was like, it's just the mushrooms controlling the bees. Mm. You already oh, so- do that. I went to a, a Bigfoot conference, and um, I love the great Florida Bigfoot conference. Lots of drama, lots of uh, crazy shit going on there. Um, but every, you know, everyone's like, well, what do you think about Bigfoot? And I always, my favorite thing is that I think that my pet theory is that Bigfoot is a hominid very close to our reality with a very similar chemical biological makeup to their mind and when they're wandering in the woods and they take a psychedelic mushroom they accidentally trip into our reality <laughs> and that's and, and it's a weird it's again it's like how you hook up consciousnesses with your buddy when you're tripping for whatever reason they they took too much and they're <laughs> they're like zoomed into here and i bet in their world they see a bunch of pale like hairless apes <laughs> in their reality <laughs> freaks like, them the hell out like, not you know in one region like in scandinavia bigfoot scandinavia they're like no it's the white ones you know just like we have yetis <laughs> yeah <laughs> like in africa they're like no man it's the the hairless black ones man they're, they're super dark and they got no hair and then, <laughs> again, it has all the variety just like we get <laughs> hmm. that's my pet theory we're tripping into each other's realities. <laughs> right. Well, the one day we get to interview a Bigfoot, we're going to have that theory confirmed or or not. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. We're going to an interdimensional superfluid podcast with Bigfoot. It's on its way. <laughs> Stay tuned. Oh, Chaz, you've the ruined of podcasting. <laughs> you've ruined my weekend, just so you know. <laughs> I have a whole note card of stuff I have to look into further now. That's, that's what I'm here to do. Make, I, it was life all, a little weirder. I was like, all the stuff I've never heard about that I'm super, super excited to look into. My wife hates you now, just so you, just so yeah. you know. It's weird, man. I'm, um, it's weird rabbit holes. I'm still waiting to hear back from that dude though on that UFO flight. Yeah, still, let us it, know. Yeah, please let us know. The, the pro- well, the problem is, is it's such a good story. It's too good of a story that I don't believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, I've, I've, oh, I'm convinced I've tricked myself into thinking it's, you know what I mean? I'll, That's a I weird can't, barrier. I can't tell you names, but we have a listener that we love very dearly. And he was telling us about his previous career that was just amazing. And you're like, okay, okay. And then he shows you pictures of him doing these things. 
Now it's like, oh crap! You're, oh yeah, this it's is real. real. It's all real. It's all real. <laughs> so don't count too far out yet, but yeah. Uh, oh yeah, man! I'm waiting for it. I think this. I've, I've got some interviews and stuff planned to look into this B theory further, and I'm really, really, really hoping I get. To I'm excited for B theory. That, that would be the best way to to cap off uh, that story. Just Come on, manifest you know it. I'm right, manifest, manifest it. it. It's a red car thing. Bees, uh, bees. I think I'm going to start breeding bees. <laughs> I think it's good. I have a cousin who does it. I think it's a good, uh, a good endeavor. I'm going to make my or not boat bee float. Theory is true. You know, free honey. One. Yeah. And two, the planet. You know. Uh, yeah. Peace and love. Yeah, we just planted a pollinator <laughs> garden. Yeah. But Chaz, we're at an hour of forty. Oh shit! This has All been right, this has off. been a blast. Amazing, yeah. So please don't let this be your only appearance on the show. Right? Yeah. We didn't even talk about either of my books. So right? Well, you, before we end it here, will you take with the, at least the names of your books and everything like that? Now, everybody at home, I always put the links below. Please, please support Chaz. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, you can find links to all my stuff, books, articles, podcast appearances at chazofthedead.com. Um, all my materials there. You can uh, find links to all that. But also check out paranormalitymag.com. That's where I do most of my writing these days at a Paranormality Magazine. We've got a, um, a great, uh, great thing going on there, focusing on paranormal research and bizarre stories and weird news. And um, it's a, a really fun project and we're getting quite a, a fun community going on there so yeah go check that out and uh share some some high strangeness with your your friends and family let's make life a little weirder you know always <laughs> now before we go Chaz, we first of all we want to thank you for coming on this has been amazing and we are already inviting you on for further episodes we'd love it uh i it's very it's very rare for me not to talk Eighty percent of the time for an episode. <laughs> That's true. Cause I was just sitting here listening, and I was just looking at Jay like this is epic. Yeah. Uh, but so thank you, and please come back on. We'll get it scheduled, everything like that. If you're okay yeah, with that. <laughs> Secondly, we end the episode with a guest every the same time every way, as long as you're okay with it. On the count of three, down, you know, to one, uh, we'll all scream "bye" into the microphones, and then the outro will play. If you're good with that. I'm good with it. <laughs> All right, guys. Three, two, one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Crips of the Corn podcast. Please share with a friend you think would like us. It's the best way to help our show grow. Leave a comment, rate us, a five-star review. And remember, there is always extra content on Patreon slash Crips of the Corn.com. And don't forget, stay magical.